Joel chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 17 through 21. We have come to the end of this book, and it's been a journey. But I think the most important passages are the ones we're going to read today. Look at Joel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of the violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it understand that the Lord dwells with them. What is the day of the Lord? That was a question we began with. How can we describe this earth-shattering event What are the words that we can use to give meaning to the day of God's visitation? How did Joel describe it? The day of the Lord is a day when we should mourn of the brokenness of our world. The day of the Lord is a a day when we should tremble at the approach of the Lord's army. The day of the Lord is a day when God's people return to him with all their hearts. The day of the Lord is a day when God brings about his restoration. The day of the Lord is a day when he pours forth his spirit so that all who call upon his name will be saved. The day of the Lord is a day when God gathers the nations in order that they might stand before his throne in that final judgment. Thus far, this is what we have seen in the, in the book of Joel. God had brought about his judgment, this locust army, as a way of disciplining his children in order that they might return to him with repentant hearts, be restored, and become witnesses for him to the surrounding nations. For there will come a day when, when these nations will be gathered before the judgment seat of God, and they will have to give an account for their actions. And unless they have turned from their sins and have trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, then they will be considered enemies of God and stand condemned. And yet for those who have faith in Jesus, those who are his people, God will be a refuge for them, a stronghold where they can stand firm in his presence. 
You see, the day of the Lord is also a day when the Lord dwells in Zion. A day when he lives among his people. And when you think about it, ultimately this is God's endgame. Think back to the, to the garden and the state of the world before the fall. When there was that pure fellowship between God and man. They dwelt together in perfect harmony. They walked side by side without anything getting in between them. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no sin. It was just a pure love between a father and his children. And yet all that changed that, that terrible day when man turned his back on God. Death entered our world and as the Lord placed a curse upon both man and the, and the land in which he lived. But even though this was the case, God did not lose his love for his children. For ever since that day, he has been working towards the, the redemption of his people. A, a restoration so that he might bring them back into that pure fellowship once again. And this is what we see in this last section of the book of Joel. The Lord will dwell in Zion. Let's look at our passage and see how this plays out. Look at verse 17. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. The Lord, your God, dwells in Zion. What beautiful and amazing words. Now what is Zion? What, what does this word actually mean? Zion is simply the proper name of that holy hill in Jerusalem where the temple was built. And because God's temple had been fixed on that mount, Zion became the heart of Jewish life. Everything revolved around this mount. It was a place where, where heaven and earth came together, for it was the dwelling place of Yahweh, their God. It was his throne room. And so when the Lord says that he, he dwells in Zion, what he is communicating is that he is in the midst of his people. He is in that sweet fellowship that he has been working towards throughout all of history. And what we see described in the book of Joel is a, is a culmination of all of God's work. That day when he will restore man to the place from which he had fallen. It is that new heaven and that new earth that we read about earlier in the book of Revelation. In other words, Yahweh is bringing his people back into that pure fellowship once again. The Lord dwells in Zion. And because this is the case, because God will choose to live in the midst of his people, it will have some lasting effects. Ultimately, it is a reverse of the curse. And this is what we see as we continue on in our passage. 
Let's, let's look at these effects one by one, starting with verse 17b. Jerusalem will be holy. Jerusalem will be holy. This word holy is a word that is commonly used in the Bible but is not often defined. The, the Hebrew word is kodesh. And it means apartness or sacredness. It is to be unique from other things. And so Jerusalem and all who dwell within it are to be set apart. For this is God's special city. And these are God's special people. But inferred in this word holy is also the, the notion that the presence of sin will be absent, that God's people will be completely cleansed. When we talk about salvation, we, we typically speak of that, that moment when a person first believes. We proclaim that, that because Jesus took the penalty of their sins upon himself, and, and because they have trusted in him, that they are now saved. This is what is known as justification. It is to be declared righteous before God. But justification is only the first step, uh, first step of the saving work that God does in the life of a believer. For there is also sanctification and glorification. Sanctification is that ongoing process of the Holy Spirit changing a person's heart. He is cleansing them from within, removing the desires of the flesh and replacing them with a desire for God. But glorification is that last step of God's saving word, saving work. It is, it is when a person is fully changed as the last vestiges of sin are finally removed and a person's heart becomes fully devoted to the Lord. This, this is what God means when he says that Jerusalem will be holy. He is speaking about his people being glorified. That those who dwell within will no longer possess those sinful desires. Rather, they will, they will have their hearts set apart for God himself. How many of you feel like your struggle with sin will never be over? That it, that it is continuously keeping you down day after day after day. If this is you, then let these words, Jerusalem will be holy, become a beacon of hope. For it is God's promise that he will one day remove your sin. And give you a heart that longs for him. For when the Lord dwells in Zion, then his people will be holy. But there's more. Look, look at the end of verse 17. Never again will foreigners invade her. Last Sunday we, we saw that those who are the enemies of God will have to prepare themselves for battle. They'll have to beat their plowshares into swords and their pruning hooks into spears. They 
will have no peace. But this is not the case for God's children. No. For them, the threat of war is over. Instead, they will live in in the security of knowing that, that, that God is their stronghold and that there are no forces that can overcome the protection that he brings. Today, we, we, are, we are fighting so hard to have this sense of security. It's why we wear masks, and, and it's why we are social distancing. It's why people have signed up to, to get vaccines. We want to feel safe. We want to feel protected. And yet, even with all of our precautions, we still don't feel secure. Why is that? Because if it isn't COVID, then it'll be heart disease. And if it isn't heart disease, then it'll be cancer. And if it isn't cancer, then it'll be something else. There is no permanence in this world. Death comes in many forms. There's war. There's natural disasters. There's disease. And these are the things that that, that keep us up at night. But when the Lord dwells in Zion, there is a security that is like none other. Look at Revelation 21, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates. This is a picture of an impenetrable city. It has high walls that cannot be surmounted. And there are angels standing guard at every gate. There is safety there. There is security. And this is how it will be when when God dwells in Zion. His people will be secure. But not only is there security, but there is also abundance. Look back at our passage again. Look at verse 18. In that day, the, the mountains will drip new wine. And the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. When we began this book, we were talking about locusts and famine, about people being in want. This, this is the opposite of that picture. For what we see here is a, is a land that is thriving. Whereas before the, the, the new wine had been cut off, here the mountains are dripping with it. Before the, the, the cattle were moaning and, and the sheep were suffering. But here the hills are flowing with milk, demonstrating that the herds and the flocks are healthy and fat. And the reason they are fat is because the ravines are filled with life-giving water. 
No longer is the land dependent upon the seasonal rains, for there is another source. And that other source is God himself. For a fountain flows from his house, a river of life bringing abundance. In fact, the flow is so great and so steady that it, that it reaches the whole of Israel and even beyond. For God tells us that, that it will water the valley of Acacias, which was Israel's final resting place before they had entered the promised land. Think about that. This fountain, it will reach to the outer edges and keep on flowing. Dear friends, do you see the goodness of our Lord? How he is the source of our provision? How he provides abundantly? And we see the same picture in the book of Revelation. Look at, at chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What an amazing, amazing picture. And this is the promise for all of God's children. You will never go hungry. You will never be thirsty. For when the Lord dwells in Zion, there is abundance. But not only is there abundance, but there is also eternal life. Look at verse 20. Judah will be inhabited forever in Jerusalem through all generations. This kingdom of God will have no end, for the king who resides within is himself eternal. But more than that, he also has the power to grant life to all within that realm. This is the nature of God. It is who he is. He breathes life, not death. Think back again to the, to the book of Genesis. What was it that God was doing? He was creating life, was he not? Death comes from sin. Life comes from God. And those who dwell in his city they will have life. Look at, look at Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. One of the hardest things that we have to deal with in, in this life is the inevitability of death. Whether it be the death of a loved one or our own death. But in the new heaven and in the new earth, the curse will be lifted and death will be no more. For when God dwells in Zion, he brings life eternal. 
And the reason he can do this is because he took care of our sin problem. Look at verse 21. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. God will pardon our blood guilt. Now, a a blood guilt implies that, that the sins of God's people are transgressions worthy of death. That they are high crimes deserving of capital punishment. And yet, in God's mercy, he hands out his pardon instead. How can he do this? Through his son, Jesus Christ. The God-man who, who died in our place. For God is not, is not just a, a, a... For God will be a just God. And blood must be shed as payment for the penalty of our sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He became a man and, and dwelt among us. He, he, he lived a sinless life that we could not. And yet, he, he, he chose. It was his own will to take upon the sins of the world as he went to the cross and died in our place. God's justice was fulfilled in him. And because of that, all those who have turned from their sins and have trusted in Christ what they will find is that they have become God's children. That they have a future in this eternal kingdom. For when the Lord dwells in Zion, his people will be pardoned. But why does he pardon them? Why does he offer this forgiveness? In order that they might dwell in his presence. For without this pardon, a man cannot stand before God. The burden of his heavy, heavy sin would crush him. Look at Isaiah 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here we see the prophet Isaiah who was standing before the the throne of God and he was in ruin. And the reason he was in ruin was because the glory of the Lord was, was too much for his sinful heart. Isaiah needed to be cleansed. He needed to be forgiven. For only then could he stand in God's presence. Only then could he be in that pure fellowship with his Lord. Which leads us to the last words in the book of Joel. The most important words in the book of Joel. The Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord dwells in Zion. This is God's end game to be in fellowship with his people. And if you are in Christ, then then you can rejoice, for this is your future. An eternal existence with your Creator. You see, the, the, the church isn't an end in itself. Rather, it is a means to a greater end. 
A preparation, if you will, in developing that intimate relationship with the Lord Almighty. For when the Lord dwells in Zion, He will be the one that that will satisfy your every need. He will be the one that your heart longs for. And as great as all those other things are, becoming holy through God glorifying your body, having security knowing that God will protect you, living in the abundance of God's provisions, receiving God's gift of eternal life, and finding pardon from your sins through Jesus Christ. As great as all these things are, they will pale in comparison to being in the presence of the Lord your God and seeing his face. Dear friends, there will come a time when your greatest longing will be for God himself. Where being in fellowship with him will be rapturous joy. But we aren't there yet. We still get distracted by the things of this life. The Holy Spirit is still sanctifying our hearts. But on the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord dwells in Zion, you will be changed. All of your worldly desires will be wiped away. And what you will crave the most will be his presence. And the good, good news is that he will grant you his company. For he desires to be with you. For the Lord will dwell in Zion. Let us pray. Father, we are in awe of the future that you have prepared for us. The riches of your grace and your mercy are are overwhelming. And for that, we praise your name. By the working of your Holy Spirit, help us to understand this truth. May it be our motivating factor in all that we do. And may it encourage us in times that are not so bright. Aid us, we pray, that we might develop that longing for your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.